What I want to do today is talk to you about the Irish potato famine, which took place from 1845 to 1850. I want to talk about it from the standpoint of how it affected what you're seeing as you travel around Ireland, because it did and it has impacts today. And I think this will actually surprise you. And let me set this up a little bit, because we're all used to living in places that get bigger over time. And we all know this is the case. We just sort of take it for granted. Cities get bigger. Say New York in 1840 is a way different and way smaller city than it is now. And it takes place on a country basis too. The United States has grown quite a bit. So has Canada. In fact, the numbers are, if you go back to 1840, which is basically right before the, the famine started, the United States only had 17 million people. Now we have 332 million people. Canada only had half a million people. Now it has 38 million people. And so we're in a situation where countries sort of grow and develop. And, you know, you'd say, okay, well, that is, you know, North America. And of course that's the case because people were moving over here. So we would expect it to get bigger. But the same thing was happening in Europe. Uh, in fact, the same thing was happening in England and Scotland, which were other parts of the United Kingdom. Because remember, Ireland was part of the United Kingdom until 1922. So England, if you look at it, was 18 and a half million people in 1840, and now it's 56 million. So it's, you know, tripled, essentially. Scotland was 2.6 million then. It's 5.4 million now. So it's more than doubled. And, and the same is true in Spain and in France and in Russia and in China. And I won't bore you with all those numbers. But my point is, it's the case everywhere except Ireland. And the famine was a big part of that. The numbers for Ireland, just on a macro basis, is that Ireland in 1841, which is when they did a census, was 8.2 million people. Even today, Ireland has less than 7 million people in it. So the population has gone down between uh, the famine and now. Just immediately during the famine, there were a million people that died, either from starvation or from disease. And there were a million people that emigrated, left the country. So we're 2 million right away. But the immigration keeps going after that. By 1871, so 30 years later, after this sort of high watermark of 1841, when there were 8.2 million people, there's only 4.4 million people left in Ireland by that point. And, you know, it keeps going. And basically, you reach a point in Ireland when you only have about half the number of people in the country left because of what happened with emigration and whatnot. And this all stems from the famine. This was not happening pre-famine, and it started then and during the famine, which again was 1845 to 1850 is usually the dates that are, that are ascribed to it. But there's another aspect to this that I want to talk about as well as it affects the population, which is that the famine drastically impacts the west of Ireland, which is where we're going to be spending the vast majority of our time much more so than it affected the East. In fact, pre-famine, the largest city in Ireland was actually Cork, which is in the southwest of Ireland. And, you know, we'll get into some more of the numbers on a per-county basis later, but they go down to a much more drastic extent in the West than in the East. And so you're going to see this as we're driving around. You're going to see some of the impacts of this. So let's back up, though, and talk about how this happened 
And to do that, let's set the stage. Why would this country be in this position where an impact to its potato crop was such a big deal and had such a huge impact? And a part of that you already know and maybe already learned at school, which was that potatoes had or were a big part of the diet in Ireland. And you'd probably heard that. But to sort of add to that and to also explain what we were dealing with here, I want to explain about the conditions in Ireland, which at that point, Ireland was an exceedingly poor country. Really poor. You had people basically doing substance farming and just barely getting by. I read an account, and I looked for it prior to recording this and couldn't find it. I read an account of a guy who had traveled, I believe he was English, and he had gone to America. This is in like the late 1830s, early 1840s. So this is before the famine. And he traveled all over the U.S. And he came back and he went to Ireland before returning to England. And then he wrote a book and basically described the situation that he had seen. And basically what he said was that Ireland was the poorest place he saw and that where, the place where the people had it the worst. And what's amazing about this is that he goes out of his way to say, and that includes the plantations in the American South, referring to the plight of the slaves, and that includes reservations in the American West where the Native Americans were. And says that the Irish had it worse. Now, I don't want to get into that. And it's not a matter of whether that's right or wrong. And certainly both those groups had it horrible. But the point is that this guy would even compare them. And that's what I want to get across to you is that pre-famine, it wasn't like the Irish were prospering. Things were, were very bad. They were very poor. They were under the, the British yoke a bit. you know. And you'll hear more about this. Uh, as we go, you probably already have heard about this, that Ireland uh, for 800 years was controlled and run by England and, and was part of the United Kingdom. During this time, there's basically a lot of landlords as well. A lot of these landlords were English, some were Irish, but that was the system, is that you had a class that, that owned the land, and then you had an underclass that worked it. Now, within that class that worked it, these tenants, there were some large ones, and then there were some really, really small ones as well. And obviously, the small ones were in a, a much more precarious position there. Anyway, against this backdrop as well, you have to understand, this is called the Great Famine. In much the way that the Great Depression was one of many depressions, or now we call them recessions, but one of many economic downturns. It was just the biggest and most prominent one. And the same is true with, you know, this Irish potato famine. It, it wasn't like every year was a bountiful harvest before this, that there were ups and there were downs. And so that did happen. This was just the great one. And the point is, is that this is something that the Irish and the British had been living with for years. The Irish were very poor and another thing, and we'll talk more about this in a second, but that the Irish were constantly re revolting against the uh, English in one form or another. It had really become sort of tiresome for the British, and that affected their attitudes in how they dealt with that. Anyway, let's talk now about how this actually happened and, and what was going on. Basically, in 1845, everything is going along as normal. Like I said, this is not exactly the best of times for the Irish, but there, there's, you know, it's normal. And in fact, the harvest of that year for the potatoes was not out of the ordinary. 
Everything was fine. But after they had done their harvest of the potatoes, and as you'll hear about, there's actually two potato harvests per year. There's, a, there's an early one, basically in the summer, and those are called the new potatoes. And then there's a late one, called, and those are called the old potatoes, and that's in the fall. So this is, we're into the fall now, in 1845, and they've already dug up the potatoes, and basically what they would do is they would store them in these big pits, and then they would eat them over the winter, and they would keep some as seed crops, too, for the next year. Well, this fungus comes along, and, you know, they didn't know it at the time. They didn't know where this came from. They didn't know how it happened. But, you know, since scientists have looked at this and think that it came from a ship immediately from Belgium, but prior to that, probably from like South America. And there was this fungus. And what happened was this fungus did particularly well in cool, rainy, moist, boggy, misty areas. And what I've just described is pretty much Ireland. And so this fungus then lands on the shores of Ireland and it takes off. I mean, it destroys crops basically overnight. And these people will just wake up. And not only does it destroy crops, but it destroys the ones they've already harvested. Because at this point, they're in the pits. And it, it turns these potatoes black. No one knows why, but it's... A, a very bad thing. At this point, it was a crisis, but not a disaster. So this is bad, but this is not change the world, change you know everything about uh, Ireland bad. It's just a serious problem with the potato crop. In fact, the, the numbers I saw say that about a third of the crop was gone. And also, another thing to keep in mind is that the prime minister at this time was somewhat sympathetic to Ireland. His name was Peel, and I believe he had spent some time in Ireland, but he makes this deal whereby he brings in corn from, from North America uh, for use in Ireland to, to keep people fed. Because at this point, all they have, I mean, you know, you can blame the English and, and they deserve some blame, but throughout the world at this point, there's no welfare states. There's no social services to speak of. The, the only thing they had literally was poorhouses. Uh, and to get, they would basically allow you to stay there and get food, but you had to work for it. There was no free handouts and that sort of thing. So that was all they had. So this corn thing was a little bit novel, but it shows how bad things were. But, you know, obviously it was not going to solve the problem. Anyway, we go into the winter and the kind of sense that I've read at this point is that everyone's looking at things now like, okay, whoo, that was bad, but... You know, it's over, so off we go. Uh, and they had a harsh winter, apparently, and so they thought, whatever that was, surely this harsh winter has killed it, and we can just go on with business as usual. And in fact, things looked pretty good. Uh, they had a very nice spring. Everything looked good. And in fact, I'd mentioned how there's two, ar two harvests of potatoes. The new potatoes came out of the ground just fine. So we're going into 1846. Everything looks good. But then it hits again. Late summer, early fall, it hits. And basically, the accounts read like it happened in a day. Like there was this white mist uh, that covered Ireland in a day. And the next day, all the crops were black. All the potatoes were black. Most accounts I've seen says it kills about three quarters of all the potatoes. So basically, the crop is wiped out. So now we have a complete disaster on our hands. What's worse is that the Peel government by then had fallen in British, and we've got a new crew in there, and these guys are full blast 
laissez-faire, you know, free market people who have no interest in social services or helping Ireland or anything like that in terms of uh, handouts. Their view was the market will take care of this. This is the market at work. And basically, Ireland is a disaster and it's their own fault. And that seems heartless, and it was, but that was partly the times. And partly, you know, remember these landlords. The British didn't much care for the landlord system either and thought they were feckless and very short-sighted and, and really not doing much good for anyone. One of the things they do at this point is they say, look, this should be the landlord's problems. They're the, it's their deal. It's their country. They're the ones that own the land. They should have to deal with this. And that's what they attempt to do. But ultimately, then the landlords just try to force it down on the tenants. And now the tenants uh, who, you know, they're dealing with the famine. They have no ability to deal with this whatsoever. And so the, the whole response at this point is pretty much a disaster. One thing they do do, though, is that they did have a relief act where they were going to have these um, soup kitchens, essentially. And what they were going to do was set up these soup kitchens in various parts of Ireland and allow people to get a bowl of soup, which was considered you know, nutritious and, and would help. The problem in 1847 is that it takes them a long time, or 1846, sorry, that it takes them a long time to get these set up, and they don't get them set up until 1847. They, I don't think they actually got the act done through Parliament until early 1847. It takes them another three months to get the thing set up. There's all sorts of bureaucracy involved. And so it's not until late spring in 1847 that they have these soup kitchens. But once they're going, they really start cranking out the food. Is that what you would do is they would go in to these places and they would have all these tables lined up with, as I read, the bowls and the spoons chained to the tables. And they would bring them in like a hundred at a time and sit them down. They'd basically like blow a whistle and they could come in and sit down and eat a bowl of soup quickly and then leave. And then they would uh, clean the bowls and the, and the uh, spoons real quick and then blow the whistle again and the next hundred would come in. And so it was this assembly line of people coming in and doing the soup kitchens thing. But the point is, is that they feed by that like 3 million people in a matter of months, which is insane in terms of volume. But it's also insane when you consider that, again, the high watermark of Ireland is only 8.2 million people. Now, the, the emigration has started and the death has started. So it's probably not that at this point, but it's probably not far off. Anyway, here's the next amazing thing about 1847. And it seems great, but it, it, it turns tragic, is that there actually was no famine in 1847. The blight that had been hitting the potatoes doesn't happen in any meaningful way in 1847. And so what happens now? Well, crisis over, right? And so the soup kitchens shut down. Everybody thinks we're back to normal and everything's going to be okay. Two problems with that. One is that because of the problems they had had in 1845 and 1846, there wasn't much planting done in 1847. Uh, I think that was partly done because they were worried about it turning black, but partly because they had eaten the seed potatoes uh, out of desperation in some cases. So you don't have much of a harvest this at this time. The next thing, of course, is the fact that it does come back in 1848. And in fact, 1848, by most accounts, is the worst year by far. The blight hits in the second half of the year. It's 
the worst one in terms of volume of crop destroyed. I mean, the crop was essentially wiped out. And now you don't have the services. Essentially, all you have is these poor houses or workhouses for people to get any kind of aid. At this point, starvation is rampant. And what happens is that, you know, as you are malnourished, your body is weak, is weakened. And so people die of disease a lot, too. Uh, I believe there was a, a cholera outbreak at this point just to make it, it even worse. And so you have that going on. Now, at this point, you have wholesale emigration as well. You have just almost, it sounds like entire towns being abandoned and just essentially boarded up. Most of these people went to the, uh, America. Some went to Canada. Some actually went to England. And some went to Australia. So they went all over. But it's at this point when it's really, people are just leaving in mass. And ultimately, there'll be a million people, a full million people out of 8 million that will actually leave the country. If you put these kind of numbers, the same percentages on our populations today, you would see sort of what a, a massive impact this would be. Because it's what's one eighth of 330 million people. I don't know offhand, but it's a lot. And, you know, that gives you a sense of the kind of devastation that we're dealing with here and, and the kind of wholesale evacuation of Ireland that we're dealing with here. It's interesting when you think about it because it's not like leaving today. Uh, we're all getting ready to leave and go to Ireland. Well, that wasn't an option in the 1840s. Uh, and in fact, they would have something called an American wake. Now, most of the people that emigrated would be tended to be on the younger side and they would often be leaving behind parents, always be leaving behind friends and some family, and they were never going to see them again. And they knew it. And in fact, everybody knew it. You're never going to see these people ever again. And you're leaving and going to America because essentially you have no choice. There's no way to make a living here. And, you know, you, you have to do it. Uh, so the night before they left, they would have a, a sort of party, sort of a grim party, but a party nonetheless. And they called that an American wake. Uh, and it was the last time they'd ever see him. So anyway, that's the kind of thing that was going on then and the sort of thing they were dealing with. Now, here's another thing that was going on. And, you know, we're talking about the year 1848. Some of you who are history buffs may recognize the year 1848 because that's a year that essentially revolutions break out all over in Europe. The underclass starts rising up against their conditions and you have these revolts. This is post-French Revolution, so this is a big deal. Anyway, the same thing happens kind of in Ireland. At this point, you have a group called Young Ireland. And these people are pro-independence. They want the British gone. But, you know, to date, they haven't been an outright revolt. There hasn't been the kind of violence that there usually is in these Irish revolts. But in 1848, there are basically some minor skirmishes uh, between the uh, uh, young Ireland and the British. But these get totally blown out of proportion and made into this huge deal. And essentially to the British, this is just, you know, this is the narrative. The, uh, the ungrateful Irish revolting again. Here we go. Just like always. And so now when the Irish are at their absolute greatest need, which is 1848, because now the famine is really hit in full force, the British are at their point where they're the least inclined to do anything about it. And so now you have the situation with lingering effects to today, uh, where there's a lot of resentment and, and certainly was at the time 
against the British and their failure to really do enough about the, uh, the famine. But luckily for us, or luckily for the Irish, really, uh, 1848 was pretty much the end. 1849, there was a, a very limited amounts of, of crop destruction. Uh, what was there was limited to the West and the South. And of course, that's where we'll be at least starting our tour. So it'll still be going on then. With that, let's turn the page and talk about how this is going to impact what you're seeing as we're traveling around in Ireland. The first thing you're going to notice in you know, Western Ireland is that it, there's not very many people. That there are some towns, but not that many. And we're going to be in some really remote places. So let me tell you how this happened and point out that this was not always the case. And that what you're seeing is directly impacted by the famine. Now, we're going to start our tour primarily in County Kerry. That's where Beaufort is and Killarney is. That's where the Ring of Kerry is. That's where the Dingle Peninsula is. That's where Skellig Michael is. So all these places, probably the first five days, will be in County Kerry the vast majority of the time. County Kerry in 1841 had 293,000 people. Right now, it only has 147,000. So even today, County Kerry has half the people that it had pre-famine. The next place we're going to go is up to County Clare. This is going to be where the Cliffs of Moher are. That's the primary thing you'll see there. It's even worse here. It's down 60%. There's 118,000 people there now. But in 1841, there were 286,000 people. Galway is similar. Galway has the, the town of Galway in it. And so towns tend to do better. But uh, it, it has 258,000 now. And it had 440,000 pre-famine. So it's down 42%. These are pretty staggering numbers. I mean, you think about Ireland as a whole went from, you know, 8.2 million down somewhat. But here out in the West, we're talking half the number of people today. And it was way worse. I mean, the numbers I have, basically the population of Ireland bottomed out in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. And so how, let me explain that. Because, you know, you lose a few million because of the famine. But what happens is, it begins a culture of emigration that people just realize that they can't make a living in Ireland, they can't survive in many cases, and they start leaving. And this goes on for years. I, I, it kind of still goes on today. But they just sort of get used to leaving. Most of them go to the United States, but certainly not exclusively. I read in one place that it was not unusual for a full half of each generation to actually leave Ireland and, and go elsewhere in, in search of work. And this goes on for years and years and years. And so the population never recovers. The point is, this didn't happen pre-famine. Did not. And it starts in the famine and just continues on, you know, for a long time. So there's less people. Now, it won't surprise you too that there's gonna, you're going to see a lot less houses and a lot less buildings. In some cases, well, you're going to see ruins. Now, it's not like you're going to see ruins everywhere, but you're going to see these uh, uh, stone houses or the remains of stone houses in fields very often. And very often those will be famine or houses from the famine. 
They usually won't have a roof because that will have been thatch. And you'll just see these stones, and that sort of makes up the bones of the houses. Today we use lumber. Back then they used these rocks. Back then that would have been covered with like a white plaster. And so that's what the house would have looked like. But that has worn away over the years or gone away. And what's left is the, is the rocks of these houses. And so as you drive along and you see those, like in America, when you see that, it's usually a deteriorating barn or something like that. It's not usually a house. But in Ireland, when you see these, it's a house. Uh, you'll see other ruins as well. I mean, we're going to make a point of stopping at several ruined castles and ruined abbeys and, and that sort of thing. Now, some of that went away for different reasons. They don't need the castles anymore. They don't, there's no kings in Ireland anymore. Incidentally, you know, once upon a time, there were 500 kings in Ireland uh, of various small territories, all pretty much fighting each other. But they all had little castles or forts or keeps or whatever, and, and you can still see some of those today. Now, so those went away because there's not all these kings, but... You know, something tells me that if Ireland had the kind of population uh, that it might have had, in other words, if the 8.2 had kept rising, then they'd have found a use for these uh, castles and monasteries and things like that, and they wouldn't be just abandoned uh, husks today like they are. So a lot of the ruins that we're going to be looking at, I think, are there as a direct result of the famine. The next thing is the, the transportation. And we're going to be confronted with this directly. You'll notice that we're we're having to drive. And there's a reason for that, that there there's no trains or public transportation that'll get us where we want to go. Uh, in fact, the Irish train system is actually less now than it was in the past. It's actually shrunk uh, as a direct result of everything we're talking about here. You literally can't get by train up and down the west coast of Ireland. It does have some trains, but they're usually point-to-point uh, -point places like you know Belfast to Dublin and, and Galway to Dublin and that sort of thing. So that, that's how the transportation system works. As I mentioned, the population shifted east. Now Dublin is, of course, the largest city. Uh, and in fact, I think there's, well, there's between six and a half and seven million people in Ireland, and Dublin accounts for a full million five of those. And by the way, Belfast uh, accounts for about another million. So that's where the people live, not in the West. And if you look at the public transportation, whether it's trains or, or M roads, and M roads are essentially interstate highways, they're basically like spokes in and out of Dublin to major cities. If you look at a map, that's what it'll look like. It basically one side will be in Dublin and the other side will be in some major city. So there's none of this in the West Coast. So we're going to be driving around, and we're going to be driving around on small roads. And, you know, that'll really come uh, come home to you as we're doing it. And we pass by a big bus, and it's hard to uh, get both by on the same road. But there's just not a lot of people, so that's the way they are. The final thing I wanted to mention is that the famine led to this mass chaos and lack of records. And you see this all the time, not so much with us because of the nature of our tour that we're going to be going around taking pictures and, and that sort of thing. But most people that go to Ireland for the first time, uh, and I, I've been told this by somebody who actually knew stuff about uh, Irish tourism, is that most Americans that go to Ireland the first time 
are have some kind of Irish descent, uh, blood in them, and they're looking for kind of where their family came from. And they go there, and you know, there's not a lot of records. There's not a lot preserved. It was chaos as a result of the famine. And in fact, we have that in my own family. My dad's mother was Irish, and her family came from Ireland. We can trace them back to Ireland, but that's about it. The, it runs cold in the 1840s, and we have no records beyond that, and never will. And that's a direct result of the famine. So anyway, that's a little bit about the famine and how it is impacting what you're looking at as we're uh, traveling around Ireland. I hope you found this useful and I will see you in the next one of these or else I'll see you on the tour.